0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the seasons, not only in this world, uh, but in our lives. We thank you for the changes. Some are more pleasant than others, but Lord, we're thankful for all of them. We thank you for each part each season plays in our life. There are seasons of crying out to you and you driving us to our knees and us throwing ourselves completely on you and your strength. There are seasons when you lead us out of the valley into the top of a mountain and we rejoice and shout your name. Oh Lord, you have been the same throughout every season. The seasons change, the experiences and the situations that we go through change. They are all meant to grow us, but you never change. You have always been with us through every single season. Lord, we thank you for your word that reveals that truth to us. We thank you for the power that goes forth from your word that reveals those truths in our hearts so that even in the darkest of times we can cry out, Abba, Father, and know that you are near and know that you hear us. We thank you that All of this is even possible because of the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless our time this morning, that your power would go forth again, lives would be touched, and hearts would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some movies just have way too many endings. (laughs) This is what I mean. You go to see a movie in a theater and there's a scene that you think is the ending, and you start to get up, and nope, that's not it. There's another scene. And then that one ends, and you think, surely the movie's over now, and you start to get up. and Nope, that's, and there's just another scene. That's not the end of the movie yet either. I remember when I went to go see the third Lord of the Rings movie in the theater. Those of you who have seen it know where I'm going with this. And I realized... A three and a half hour long movie was way too long to watch in a movie theater. You can't just hit pause and come back to it. You sit there and you're there for a marathon. You're there for all three and a half hours. And no, I wasn't going to pay for that ticket and leave for a few minutes and come back. I was in it to win it. We were, I was going to watch that entire thing without getting up. And I was so uncomfortable towards the end that when the scene I thought was the ending came up, I thought, finally, and started to get up. But for any of you who have seen it, for those of you who haven't seen it, there are like three different end scenes that all could have ended the movie at that point. By the time the credits finally started rolling, I was so grateful I could get up. There was nothing like that sense of happiness that I could finally get up. The movie was over today we'll be finishing this last this first letter from Paul to the Thessalonians and Paul ends it in beautiful fashion exactly the way he started it with the exact same focus. really, it should be the focus we all have in our lives from start to finish and I want to start with Paul's last words of instruction and then we'll rewind and we'll end with the high note of his prayer that he offers in verses 23 through 24. So let's look at that final instruction here, the final words. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you brought your Bible with you, please turn there. Uh, if you didn't bring one with you, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. If you're having trouble finding it, you can ask the person next to you. You can just look it up in the table of contents. It's in the New Testament. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're at the very end of the of this book 1 Thessalonians and we're going to be starting in verse 25 and Paul simply says in verse 25 brethren pray for us just a few words but what do we see here we see Paul's humanity here he wants to perhaps remind or point out to the Thessalonians that he is not some great saint Sitting up on a mountain peak somewhere, completely disconnected from the pains, confusions, persecution, and spiritual warfare that every believer in Jesus experiences. He was one of their brothers and sisters. A mere man who needed to rely on God's providence and power for every day of his life. As well, he not only was telling them to do this; he needed it as well. And as such, as much as the Thessalonians needed Paul to pray for them, he he's telling them, "I need you to pray for me." When we pray as believers in Jesus, we cannot forget, and especially cannot forget those he's placed in leadership positions in his church, the children's ministries, the youth ministry, Bible studies, Sunday school classes prayer meetings, outreaches, the deacon board and the elder board. The enemy knows that if he can take out the leaders of a church, what has he successfully done? He's taken out the entire church. So pray mightily for these ministry leaders. Maybe you don't think of it often. As Paul reminds the Thessalonians, pray for us. This is God reminding us. Pray for those that God has put in leadership positions. They know spiritual warfare, and they know it well because of the positions that God has called them to. Pray for strength, pray for encouragement, pray for faith, and pray for victory for them. One of the greatest things a church body collectively can do, other than physically using their spiritual gifts to help the church's ministries, like we talked about last week, hope you haven't already forgotten about that, is to fight right alongside them in prayer. Other than physically helping them out in their ministries, we can come alongside them and fight alongside them in prayer. Every time we pray, every time we pray, we go into battle. I don't know if you realize that or not. Every time you open your mouth or pray in your heart, you go into battle. We call down God's power. We pray the decrease of the enemy's territory, which he's not happy about, and the enlargement of God's kingdom. We pray for God's strength to enable his servants to break chains and take the light of the gospel to desperate souls. As we talked about spiritual gifts last week, one of your spiritual gifts is that of being a prayer warrior. Do not think of that as a lesser gift. In fact, that's one of the greatest spiritual gifts one can be blessed with. Hone that gift. Train it. Put it to work. See how God will use your prayers to set ablaze spiritual revolution. Paul, Silas, and Timothy desperately needed their brothers and sisters to pray for them as they prayed for God's strength for them. Next, he wanted it clear. He wanted this letter to be read to the entire church, not just the leadership and not just the select few, verses 26 through 27. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The words found in this letter needed to be heard by everyone in that church, from the children to the oldest. They all needed this encouragement in the middle of this persecution. They all needed this end times clarification and spiritual boost as many were disbanding the church and heading for the hills. They all needed to, probably for the first time, hear about the hope of Jesus coming back for them. From Thessalonica, this this letter probably circulated around to the other early churches. That's why along with the subsequent transmission of it, we have this letter today. Just as there, is much, there was much applicable truth for the other early churches found in this letter that weren't the church in, in Thessalonica, there is much applicable truth for us in our church today. God's word is always timeless and always true. You usually have to do a little bit of digging, but you'll find it. Paul ends this letter with his classic greeting slash ending in verse 28. The grace of... Of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As one biblical scholar noted, these words weren't Paul hoping that Jesus' grace would be with each of them, for obviously Jesus' grace is with every believer. When Paul uses the term grace, he's using it as shorthand for the gospel. Everything that he's talking about, and salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the gospel message of that, is all wrapped up in that word grace, like a, like a present. It's all wrapped up in that one word. He's using it for short, using it as shorthand. That is grace is the opening up of the door in human history. When Jesus came to earth and died and rose again to offer to each and every person restoration to God through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. Grace means that we don't have to suffer the punishment we deserve for our sin because Jesus already suffered it for us. Grace means that we can have the Holy Spirit come and make a home within us at the moment of our trusting Jesus as our Savior and King. Grace means that we have been restored to God the Father and now enjoy Him as our adoptive Father and all the blessings that go along with that. Grace means that we are filled with the power of God through the Holy Spirit to live victorious, spiritually healthy, growing, and abundant lives. Grace means that no darkness, addiction, or chain has a hold over us. For we have been freed from that by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, grace be with you, he's saying, may you experience the full power and experience of a life reconciled to God, adopted into his family as one of his children, with the knowledge of Jesus' return and the hope of eternal life with God forever. That's what leads us to the same focus Paul had when he started out this letter. And that he's kept throughout this entire letter. We'll be starting Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians next week. As it was most likely the next ses- sequential New Testament book written. So let's get back to what Paul's focus has been on all of this first letter. The final words, now we get back to the focus. The focus Paul has come back to time and time again throughout this letter is this. Verses 23-24. through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Those are glorious words, aren't they? Paul first brought up this eternal hope in his first part of the letter, in chapter 1. And he tells them, you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. That was the first time he brought it up. The first hope we have as people is turning from the dead things of this world. That is the things that don't give life and always leave us empty. The things that those who reject God try to find meaning in. We, who have placed our hope in God through Jesus, have turned to life and truth. Anything that is life and truth is because of and found in God, who is Himself living and true. As such, why would we search for either of these things anywhere else? It's as if our car broke down in the middle of the road and we knew we just needed a certain part that we would be able to fix it ourselves. And we had just enough momentum to coast into the parking lot and that parking lot just so happened to be in front of an auto supply store and we walk in and find exactly what we need but we end up telling the store employee, nah, I'm going to try to find what I need somewhere else. God is our life and truth. And as human beings enjoyed that connection to that never-ending supply of life and truth, all the way up until we chose to try to find it in ourselves. When Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God and wanted to try to find that life and truth apart from him, that connection was severed. Over time, in His grace, God decided to give His Word through His Holy Spirit to different people who wrote those words down, and within those words was a message of restoration to Almighty God through whom one called the Deliverer would arrive at some point in human history. That prophesied Deliverer did come, both as fully man and fully God, a man named Jesus. Jesus gave message after message of how we can be restored to God through faith and the salvation made possible through him. And what did humanity do? We killed him. But the deliverer's death was just one more piece of the puzzle, and that's what's so beautiful about this entire thing, it's just one more piece of the puzzle. That wasn't the ending. That was just one more piece of the puzzle. And death's chains would not hold Jesus down. He rose again victorious over death to offer salvation, peace, and eternal life to all those who put their trust in Him. Put their trust in what? Put their trust in the fact that we're all born in sin and the payment for that sin is death. Put their trust in that Jesus, the perfect and sinless God-man, paid that debt of death, of complete destruction on our behalf. That satisfied the justice of God and we can be restored to Him and even have Him and His power come live inside of us by way of the Holy Spirit if we acknowledge Jesus' sacrifice on behalf of our sin. But to want God in our lives means to want all of God in our lives. We can't just... Pick and choose the parts we naturally like as humans. To have all of God in our lives means to acknowledge Him as King over our lives and commit to live the rest of, of those days, so, surrendered to His transformation of them into the righteousness and fullness of Jesus. That gives us unspeakable hope. We have the hope of complete spiritual fullness in the here and now and eternal life spent with God in the future. That also gives us the hope of knowing, as Paul talks about, that Jesus will return for us as believers in Him and take us up to be with Him forever. We will thus escape the prophesied terrible end times period known as the Great Tribulation in this world. Paul notes exactly that when he says in verse 10, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. And when he writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Our future hope is only possible because and only because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is the foundation to everything in our lives. Our hope, our peace, our joy, our patience, our love, our kindness with righteous motivation and standards, our faithfulness, the way we interact with each other, and how the Holy Spirit changes our lives. It is our source of abundant and full life. It is our hope for Jesus' return and our hope for eternity. As such, it's the perfect way to wrap up this letter. It's the perfect way. Similar to before, verse 23 is not Paul saying, I hope all of this happens to all of you. That way of of thinking is completely contradicted by verse 24 when Paul says, All of this will happen to you, not because of you or anything you can do, but because of God's faithfulness. That truly is the entire basis for our hope. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot do enough good things to outweigh the bad. It's impossible. That's not the way it works. Our only hope rests in the fact that God is faithful to his promises. That is our only hope. That God is faithful to his promises. He promised that humanity would find salvation from their sin and complete destruction in his deliverer, Jesus. He promised that he would indwell those whose hope was in that deliverer with his Holy Spirit. And he promised that that would also act as a seal, a done deal. And that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was the down payment on our heavenly home. Now we have it. It's already there waiting for us. And guess what? God has and will make good on every single one of those promises. As verses 23 through 24 say, God will make good on his promises to sanctify us. That is, through his Holy Spirit, transform us more and more each day into more and more the way Jesus would see, think, and act about different things. God will make good on his promises to make us complete when Jesus comes back to take us to be with him forever. It won't happen until that point or uh, uh, until that point or natural de- death overtakes us, but it will happen. Paul describes this event as the rapture elsewhere when he says, "In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Everything about us will be changed in that instant. Our bodies with our limitations and illnesses and missing parts will all be perfect. In fact, they will be exchanged for new ones. I ordered something the other day from from a website connected with a regular store where I could return it easily if need be. When it arrived via a shipping company it looked like one someone had already opened, messed around with and had returned already. So I brought it to the store that just so happened to have another one to exchange it for a factory sealed brand new one. They just so happened to have one so we made an equal exchange. Would I have actually exchanged that product for a completely new one if all the customer service representative did was take it back, seal it back up, and try to pass it off as a new one? No, it would still be the same one that was messed around with. Likewise, our bodies will be completely exchanged for new ones. Perfect. Without pain, without disability, whatever form that takes, without disease. Perfect. In addition, our minds, emotions, psychology, and the whole way we look at everything will be exchanged for a completely heavenly perspective. What's that mean? That means that all the things we're fearful of now, that we're worried about now, that we're racked with guilt and shame over now, that we're chained by depression and anxiety in now. All of that will be gone. All of that will be removed. Those of you who have struggled with those things need to hear that today. There will be a day when you will no longer suffer with those things. There will be a day when you will no longer struggle with those things. For the believer in Jesus, it will not always be this way there will be a day when all of that will be completely gone and you will be made fully new and you will be made fully peaceful. Not only will your soul be united with Jesus and made new, but as verse 23 says, your spirit and body will be made new as well. Your body is your physical self. Your spirit is all the intangible personality, emotions, and mental processing that makes you you. Your soul is the eternal part of you that will last forever. It just depends on where that eternal soul will last forever. That last one is what Paul also touches on in verse 23. Those who put their trust in Jesus will be kept spiritually blameless before God. That is the legal declaration that God only sees Jesus' righteousness when he looks at your spiritually legal status. That's defined by the theological term justification. You may have heard that big word before. That's what that means. God's legal declaration of you as blameless because he looks at Jesus' righteousness over you. In other words, those who truly put their faith and trust in Jesus and make God the king of their lives in everything they do, they will never lose that standing before God. No one can take your salvation away from you. Not the enemy, not anybody else, not even you can do that. God will preserve you until Jesus comes back. All of this will come to pass when Jesus comes back to take us as believers to be with Him forever. It could happen at any moment. Nothing else prophecy-wise has to happen until that point. It could happen in the next five minutes. It could happen in the next 500 years. All we know is that, as verse 24 says, Faithful is He who calls you, and He will also bring it to pass. That's all we need to know. God is still in the process of transforming you now. So don't feel bad if you haven't overcome something, or you don't feel like you ever will. There will be a day when all of that changes, when the trumpet of God blasts, and Michael the archangel shouts out from heaven, Here he comes, everyone! And Jesus himself starts descending in the blink of an eye. We will all be transformed and every single part of us will be transformed. Hallelujah is right. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to hold on to that hope. And God wants each of us to hold on to that hope. So in the depths of whatever you're struggling with, know that God will give you sufficient strength for each day. The victory over your greatest human weakness may be a long process. It may be a short process. It might be a lifelong process. But during every step of the way, know that God is with you right here, right now, giving you the strength you need for every minute and know that there will be a day when we will all be fully changed and we will be all fully exchanged for something new. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message of hope. Your message of change. Your message of peace and strength and power. Lord, I pray that we would not let this fall by the wayside. Or as soon as we walk out these doors, let the world come crashing down on top of us. And remove all of this from our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would infuse these words into us. Make them one with us. Make them the way that we view every situation. Knowing that you are transforming us now through your Holy Spirit to be more and more like Jesus. And knowing that someday Jesus will come back for us and will fully transform us. We pray all these things in the power and salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen.